I always love it. Well, I love I love every time we sing that song, but I, I love when we sing it just before I preach because I feel like you don't need a sermon now because the song kind of says everything there is to say. Um, so thank you. Um, and thank you to everybody who's um, taken part this morning. Um, maybe just one quick announcement from me before we, we come to our teaching. Um, just to say, so next Sunday morning, uh, you will get a break from me for one week. But we are staying very much on the theme of mission. Uh, and I guess just as we heard from Wallace a couple of weeks ago about mission uh, on campus in the universities, um, next week is a very special Sunday. We're going to have a guest speaker. Um, his name is Jasper Rutherford. Um, Jasper, for many years, was one of the leading lights kind of involved in Summer Madness, which most of you have heard of and was kind of very involved in youth work in Northern Ireland and a well-known personality uh, in that kind of world. But over the last number of years, Jasper has had a growing heart for uh, the Republic of Ireland and young people in the Republic of Ireland. And I guess very aware that we have a lot of resources for Christian youth work in the North, including things like Summer Madness and lots of Christian youth workers. But in the Republic of Ireland, the, there aren't the same resources in terms of Christian youth workers reaching uh, young people down there. So Jasper has been involved in setting up uh, an organisation called Christ in Youth uh, in the south of Ireland and he's going to be here next Sunday to share a little bit of the story of Christ in Youth, uh, a little bit of his heart and passion for it um, and also to bring a challenge from God's word uh, for us as well. But I think as a church uh, we'd love to always kind of be really aware of what God's doing in the world but but also very much to have a sense of what's going on around our island and every part of our island. And I think next Sunday will be a really good opportunity just to um, get a sense of something very exciting that God is doing, uh, that we can be praying into and supporting uh, in different ways. So Jasper uh, will be here uh, next Sunday. Let's take a moment um, and pray and ask for God's help as we open up his word. Um, Father, I want to thank you that wherever we are in our journey in life and whatever is going on, whatever our circumstances are in our lives and in our hearts, um, your word is able to meet us at our point of need. You're able to speak words of life exactly to where we are living and speak the words that we need to hear in this moment. And so, Father, I want to pray. I'm kind of really aware this morning, looking around the room, there's all kinds of things going on in people's lives. And I want to pray for each person here uh, and each person watching at home that your word would speak to where we are. Um, I want to pray for those who are downhearted or discouraged, that your word would lift up their hearts and give hope and encouragement. I want to pray for those who are feeling a bit uninspired and dull and apathetic, that your word would inspire and invigorate and enliven. Um, Father, I want to pray for those who are struggling with sickness of body or mind or soul, that your word would come and bring healing and bring wholeness. Um, Father, I want to pray for those who feel like they're kind of stumbling around in the dark, that your word would bring light. Um, and so, Father, whatever it is that we need this morning, I want to pray 
Would you speak to us by your word and by your spirit? And would we go away knowing that the living God has spoken uh, into our life and into our heart? And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, so I want to begin, um, for those who don't know, we're, we're in a series on everyday mission, thinking about what it means for our ordinary everyday lives to be a place where we are missionaries and where we are on mission and trying to get a big vision uh, of what that might mean. Um, and I want to begin again this week. Uh, we talked, uh, I read a little bit to you last week uh, from this book, The Symphony of Mission, uh, and I read about a guy called Bruce uh, who drives a, a sanitation truck because he's American uh, or a bin lorry uh, if you're here in our part of the world. Um, that's not him, by the way. That's just a random picture I find. Um, uh, but I want to read you a little bit more about Bruce. And I guess we were thinking last week about um, the part of mission that is about stewardship, which is about doing our work in a way that is worship and is also mission. And we thought about how Bruce was someone who approached his job in that spirit. Uh, and that's what we talked about last week. This week, we're thinking about uh, seeing our everyday lives as a place where we can serve other people in love. And then we'll go on next week to think about another dimension of mission. But I want to read you just a little bit more about Bruce, uh, just to set the scene. Um, Bruce's co-workers give him a hard time for his strange love of sanitation. But behind their banter, there's a deep level of respect Several of them treat Bruce as a mentor and a man of integrity who can speak into many aspects of life. His co-workers often show up at his house during the weekends to eat pancakes with the rest of his family. Bruce and his wife have three of their own children, but there are eight seats at their kitchen table. Each week, they ask God to fill those seats with people who need a sense of family. Often the seats are filled by Bruce's co-workers, especially the younger ones who've become estranged from their own families. Bruce and his wife know they've been adopted by the Father through Christ, so they take a posture of adoption towards all who need a family. Not only does Bruce give of his time for the sake of his co-workers, he also intentionally chooses the hardest routes. <laughs> by sharing the burden of a difficult route, he imitates the self-giving pattern of the cross. Driving his garbage truck isn't just a means of serving his co-workers. It's Bruce's way of washing the feet of the city. As he drives through each alley, he prays over the homes there, prays for the flourishing of the city. He imagines what would happen if nobody were to pick up the trash. Life would become miserable as God's good world would be covered in garbage and the stench would offend the nostrils of the whole neighbourhood. Disease would drive people from their homes. By removing trash from the streets, Bruce tangibly loves his neighbour. Um, it's a true story, by the way, about Bruce. That's not a made-up story. And we'll read, we'll read a little bit more uh, next week. Um, you'll, you'll see as we go this morning um, that what we heard already about digging deeper um, couldn't have been more appropriate to what we're talking about this morning. Um, Alistair had asked, had asked if they could do the announcement this week and um, we'd pick the date just because it suited, uh, well, it suited Alistair in the end, yeah, didn't suit him. Um, but I, I hadn't realised how exactly appropriate 
uh, that would be for what we're talking about in our teaching this morning. So um, everything you've heard from Billy and from Claire uh, will really be a perfect um, illustration of um, what we're talking about this morning. So let's read uh, from a very famous story we're going to read this morning from Luke chapter 10. Um, I will also very much this morning have in mind the passage that Emily read to us before communion where Jesus washes the feet of the disciples and that'll very much be kind of in the background as well uh, as we go. Let's read Luke chapter 10 reading from verse 25. It says this, on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, He passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told them, go and do likewise. Um, in many ways, um, this, this, well, this very famous story that Jesus told, um, it, he tells it as part of a conversation um, that is really about this verse, love your neighbour as yourself. Um, G- Jesus is having a, a conversation with someone who we're told was an expert on the Old Testament law. Um, And when Jesus asked the man for kind of a summary of what he saw in the law, what what do you find written there in the law? He gives the right answer. Um, And we know it's the right answer because on another occasion, Jesus was asked to sum up the law and this is the same answer that Jesus gave. Um, And he quotes two really important verses from the Old Testament. Uh, The first one, Uh, is from Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 and says we are to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And then the second one is from Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 and says love your neighbour as yourself. Um, 
the two greatest commandments, as Jesus calls them, or the two parts of the one greatest commandment. Um, and so this man Jesus is talking to, this is a man who knows his Bible well and understands his Bible well so that he gives the right answer. But then the man asks Jesus this question, who is my neighbor? And Luke, Luke, who's telling the story, quite clearly suggests it wasn't entirely a genuine question. Luke says the man wanted to justify himself. In other words, he's wanting to make himself feel okay or look good or get off the hook. Um, he's wanting to make himself uh, look in the right. Um, and I think even before we get into the story, it's, it's a good reminder to us that we can sometimes do the same. We can read the Bible and know and study the Bible and even have the right answers and yet somehow avoid its challenge for our lives. And sometimes we can read the Bible and we can kind of play games with words, say, what does that word mean? What does that word mean? And let's do a little word study on that word all through the Bible and talk about this and talk about that. And we can find correct opinions and correct doctrine and sometimes we can even read the Bible to find out why other people are wrong. I know someone who needs that verse. Um, we could do with that. But somehow what we avoid is allowing the word of God to deeply challenge us. And that seems to be part of what's going on with this expert on the Bible. Um, and I think that remains a great spiritual danger for all of us today. That we could, we could be experts on the Bible and yet completely avoid allowing God's word to shape our, our hearts. Um, and so the man is kind of playing games a little bit, but Jesus responds by telling a story. And really it's a story which unmasks all of those kinds of games and strategies for avoiding the word of God. Um, often stories get past our defenses in a way that explanations or definitions can't. Stories kind of sneak around the side um, and hit us, uh, hit us where it hurts and kind of um, uh, yeah, get past our defenses. Um, and like a lot of Jesus' stories, um, this one um, is very simple in many ways, but also very, very profound. Um, every time you read this story, you will see something new or it will strike you in a new way. Um, and I, I want really this morning just to highlight three really simple lessons uh, from this story um, and then unpack them a little bit. So um, three really simple lessons that um, are right there on the surface of this story as we think about serving others in love. Um, the first one is this, uh, that we are to love those who are hurting. Uh, the man in the story is in trouble. He is beaten up. He is bruised and bleeding. He is half dead. He has fallen and he can't get himself back up again. And so, first really simple thing to notice, the story is calling us to wake up and notice the people in our lives who are hurting, who are wounded, who are in trouble. And sometimes that's going to be really obvious. There's going to be people in your life and the wreckage is everywhere and they're bleeding all over the carpet, literally or metaphorically, and the, the mess and the hurt is really obvious and then sometimes it's going to be very well hidden but you're going to gradually become aware that there's people in your life and they're wounded and they're in trouble and they're hurting and so 
that's kind of our first question for you to think about as you think about the landscape of your everyday life, the people you rub shoulders with, the people you pass in the corridor, the people you pass on the street, the people you share a bus with, the people in the cubicle next to yours. I don't mean in the toilet, I mean in work cubicle. Could be in the, well, no. Um, but as you think about the landscape of your ordinary life, who are the people who are in trouble? Who are the people who are hurting, bleeding, wounded? Second, really simple thing, is that we are to love those who are different. Um, and of course, this was the real sting of the story for a Jewish audience. The man who stops in the story is a Samaritan, and Jews and Samaritans, we know, despised each other. And it's a very complicated story why that was so. They shared a lot of common history, but they were also different in a variety of ways. They were different, a little bit different in religion and a little bit different in politics and a little bit different in their racial background and mix and a little bit different in their cultural practices. But as a result, they had contempt for each other and they didn't associate with each other. They didn't eat with each other. They didn't even speak to each other often in public. And yet this is the sting of the story. The Samaritan sees his enemy bleeding and instead of rushing by he goes towards him and so immediately the story asks us to consider who that might be for us who are the people who are different who are not like us who are not part of our tribe um, who maybe are not easy for us to like right they're not the kind of people you're drawn towards they're the kind of person you uh, something repels you away from them and it could be for lots of different reasons. It could be culture or politics or religion or lifestyle or values or sense of humor or personality. It could be all kinds of things that make someone someone that we just, we do not want to go towards them. But the story provokes us to ask, who are those people in the landscape of our everyday lives who are different, who are other um, who are strange, who are the enemy even. Um, who are those people for you as you go about your everyday life? Um, so we're to love those who are hurting, we're to love those who are different. And then the third thing, um, which is really important, is that love will mean costly action. Um, this is really important. The Samaritan, the difference between the Samaritan and the Levite and the priest is not just that the Samaritan feels more, right? That he, he, I think he does feel, he's moved in his spirit, he has compassion, he cares about the man at the side of the road. But he doesn't just stop and look and feel sympathy and concern from a distance. Um, he gets off his donkey and he gets involved. And we can imagine him, he gets dirt on his clothes as he kneels beside the injured man on the road and he probably gets the man's blood on him as he bandages his wounds. Some people think because most people don't carry bandages with them when they travel, he may well have torn his own clothes to make bandages to bind up the wounds of the man. He gives his own oil and his own wine. He gives a lot of his time. Um, we don't know where he was going on his journey or what, what, what he was going to do, um, but he interrupts his plans, whatever they were, 
and takes a lot of time, not only to bind up his wounds, but then to take him to the inn, and then pays more for the man's care, goes above and beyond what seemed even like the decent thing to do. It's very costly, and it's very much love and action. And so whatever this story is about, it's not about love as a, a sentimental feeling, a warm and fuzzy feeling for our neighbour, uh, but it's love that moves us to action. It's love that moves us to, to do something that is costly and sacrificial. And so again, that, that maybe is our, our third question this morning. As you think about the landscape of your everyday life, what would it look like to love in that kind of way? in a way that is costly with the people around you. Um, to literally get off our high horse or our small donkey or whatever it is uh, and go and get in the dirt and get involved. Um, so there's three um, really simple observations um, that immediately kind of hit us from this story. Um, but I wanna, wanna talk about something slightly different for a minute. Um, I don't know if you know that there's obviously many paintings have been made of the Good Samaritan story, and this is one of the maybe the more obvious kind of ones. Um, but I don't know if you know, the Good Samaritan story has sometimes been read in another way. Um, and it's been read sometimes as a kind of allegory about Jesus and the gospel. And an, an allegory just means a story where kind of every detail in the story represents symbolically something else. And so there's, there's a long tradition of people reading the Good Samaritan story, something like this, that the man walking along the road is humanity. Um, and when he falls among robbers and is left wounded and dying, so that's a picture of how, as human beings, we have fallen into sin and all the damage that it brings. And we've been beaten up by the enemy. Um, and like the man in the story, we can't rescue ourselves. And then... The priest comes by and the Levite comes by and they can't help the man. And so that tells us that religion um, and the Old Testament law can't save us, can't rescue us. And then along comes a mysterious stranger who represents Jesus himself. And he comes near and comes down at great cost to himself to bring rescue and to bring healing and to bind up our wounds and to bring us to safety and pays the price of all that is needed for our healing, for our rescue. And so there's a long tradition of Christians reading the story um, in that way. Um, I wonder what you make of that. Um, everything in that interpretation is true <laughs> um, and beautiful, I would say, as well. Uh, the beauty of the gospel is there. But I do want to say... I don't think that's the main purpose of this parable. Jesus told the parable in response to a question about who is my neighbour. Uh, Jesus told the story to show us who our neighbour is and what it means to love. And the application, did you notice at the end, the application is not go away and think about the amazing love of Jesus. The application is go and do Likewise. And so one of the things maybe we've got to be careful about is even, even that kind of reading, even though it's true, could be another way of avoiding the challenge of scripture. So we would go away and go, Jesus is wonderful. The gospel is wonderful. 
but we haven't heard the challenge, which is about who are the people in my life, who are my neighbour, who are in trouble, who might be different, and what does it mean for me to go and do likewise? So I'm not a big fan of allegorising the story, and yet I want to swerve back again and say this. It's not a surprise that our minds might go in that direction. Why is that? Because the gospel is the world's greatest love story, right? And the coming of Jesus and his death for us and our salvation is the greatest act of love our world has ever seen. It's, it is, I think, the central act of love at the very heart of human history. And for that reason, every genuine act of love or every act of genuine love provides a glimpse of the gospel, provides a kind of echo, no matter how faint, of the story of Jesus and his great love for humanity. Um, every genuine act of love points to Jesus and reminds us of Jesus and ends up, in a sense, being a parable about Jesus. And so although I don't think that's what this story primarily is about, it's not wrong or surprising that when we see a, an act of sacrificial love, something in our heart will say, that reminds me of another story, right? Do you ever have that experience when you're watching a movie at the cinema and there's a character who risks their life for someone else or even gives their life for someone else and something in your heart? It, it's not that the filmmaker was talking about Jesus, but that story reminds you of the greater story. And I think that's right and proper. Now, why am I going out of my way to say all of that? Because I want to come back to this and say this. I want to say, I want to make two statements about, as we're thinking about mission and we're thinking about serving other people in love, I want to say two things that I think we have to hold together uh, whenever we, we think about serving others in love. And the first one is this, is that serving others in love has value in itself. Or I could say that another way and say, serving others in love is already mission in itself, even if you don't get to talk about Jesus. Right? I think this is a really important thing to say. Um, Jesus said another time, whatever you do for the least of these, you do it for me whenever you feed the hungry or clothe the naked or visit those who are lonely. Whatever you do for the least of these, you do it for me. And he didn't add a clause at the end and say, but only if you get to share the gospel before you leave, right? The doing of those things has value in itself. We don't just love people as a means to an end, as a technique to win a hearing for the gospel. And I, I think you probably know this as well as I do, that uh, whenever we do that, whenever we kind of pretend to love people, because we're trying to win a hearing for the gospel, people will smell that a mile away. People smell inauthenticity. They smell fake, fake love a mile away. And people will feel manipulated and they will feel like a project. They know when you're just doing it as a means to an end, when the love is not genuine. And so we don't love as a means to an end. We love, why? Because God first loved us. We love, why? Because Jesus commands us to love, to love each other, to love our neighbour, to love the stranger, to love our enemy. 
We love, why? Because God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and we can't help but share that with those around us, right? So if you get an opportunity this week in the landscape of your life to serve someone in love, that has tremendous value in itself and you're already participating in God's mission in the world because you're reflecting God's heart and reflecting God's character. So that's one thing I think we can say about serving others in love. But then I want to say something else, and it can sound like contradiction, but I don't think it is, that serving others in love will open doors for the gospel. It will inevitably open doors for the gospel because when we serve others in love, it makes the gospel visible and it makes the gospel credible. We've talked about this quite a bit in this series, but we're going to say it again. Um, I was thinking about this, you know, I was thinking about the word credible. Um, and I was thinking, you know, the gospel is for many people an incredible story, right? It's an incredible story, but part of what that word means is people find it hard to believe, right? Um, it's, it's an incredible story, and many of your friends and colleagues and neighbors are skeptical about it. And it, in some ways, it's no wonder. The story about the God who took on human flesh and came down and lived among us and bled and died and took our sin and rose again and pours out his spirit on all who believe. It's an incredible story in every sense of that word. And so many of the people you share life with are skeptical about it. They find it hard to believe. And the question then is, well, how can they be persuaded to believe? And we often wonder that. How will they be persuaded? What will change their mind? And of course, we've got to leave a lot of room here for just the mystery of the Holy Spirit working in people's lives. But I wonder on a human level, what, what is going to persuade people? What is going to change their mind? Is it going to be more preaching, better preaching, louder preaching? Um, I, I believe in preaching. Um, is it going to be clever arguments or persuasive apologetics or logical reasoning. I think there's definitely a place for thinking deeply and trying to articulate reasons for our faith. What's going to persuade people who just find the gospel incredible? Um, well, Jesus said in John 17 um, something extraordinary. He said, the world will come to know that the Father sent the Son in other words, the world will come to know that this wild story is true when they see the love that the followers of Jesus have. First of all, for each other. That's where the focus of Jesus was in John 17. But when they see love being lived out in the lives of followers of Jesus, then the world will come to believe that the Father has sent the Son. And that love begins with our brothers and sisters in the church, but then it flows out in kind of ever-expanding circles to our neighbor, to the stranger, and even to our enemies. But when the world sees genuine Christ-like love, then the world will come to believe. The world will know that the Father sent the Son. Um, Fra Francis Schaeffer uh, was a Christian thinker and apologist who wrote a lot of very, a lot of great books and a lot of great um, apologetic arguments in defense of the Christian faith. Um, it was Schaefer who set up 
Libri in Switzerland, where our own Michael Topping is currently uh, spending a year. Um, and so Schaefer did brilliant work um, articulating the faith in, a, in a, a reasonable way. But Schaefer famously said that for the church, our final apologetic is love. That's our final apologetic. Um, maybe to put it in the most simple terms, there's a cliche that people say, but sometimes cliches are true. It says, people won't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And I think there's profound truth in that. If we only go to our neighbours with gospel words, often they won't be able to hear them or they won't be able to understand them or they won't be able to receive them. But if our lives are a living parable telling the story of the gospel in acts of genuine, costly, sacrificial love, then all kinds of doors will open for the message of Jesus and people will be more open and more curious and more receptive uh, as a result. Serving others in love will open doors for the gospel. Uh, and before I finish, I want to just, I want to tell just one story to illustrate this. Um, and it's from the book that I have been reading from. I'm just going to summarize this story. Um, and before I, before I share the story, it's worth saying, the danger with the story I'm about to share is it's a big story. And really the challenge I want to throw out for all of us is about the little opportunities to serve others in love that are there in our everyday lives. But sometimes a big story is good as well to inspire us. Uh, uh, and sometimes maybe as a church and as uh, people together, we need to think about bigger ways uh, that we can love our neighbours as well. But I find this story really challenging um, and I want to I wanna share it with you. So Jim Mullins um, in this book tells a story about a time when he was living in Turkey uh, and he had met regularly with a Muslim friend called Hamid to read the Gospels. And his friend Hamid was deeply attracted to the person of Jesus. He loved reading the Gospels. He loved reading the story of the life of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus, but he couldn't accept the message of the cross. That's where he got stuck. He found it ridiculous. He found it kind of blasphemous as a Muslim. He found it offensive. He couldn't get past the message of the cross. And so Jim wondered uh, what it would take to persuade Hamid or to change his mind. Uh, he was left wondering, what would, it, what would it take to break through to someone like Hamid? Um, in his conversations with Hamid, um, his friend also made another comment which really shook him and stayed with him. Um, Hamid said to him that his favourite part of the Gospels that they'd been reading was the part where Jesus told his disciples to love their enemies. And he said to Jim, as an American Christian, he said, how many Christians in America have read these words? Why do Christians not live like this? You should go back to America and teach Christians about this. If they really believed this and lived like this, it would change the world. And it stayed with Jim and it troubled him and it shook him. And he wondered about it. So those two things stayed with him. Here's a man who finds the cross and the message of the cross incredible. What would it take to change his mind? Here's a man looking at Christians and saying, I don't always see the words of Jesus written in the lives of his followers. Five years later, Jim Mullins was living back in the United States 
and he was scrolling through social media one day and he discovered that a biker gang in his home city were planning a protest at the local mosque. And they were calling on people to bring weapons and to burn copies of the Quran, to draw obscene pictures as obscene as possible and to shout obscenities at the Muslims going to prayer. Hundreds of people had already signed up to attend. And so Jim Mullins was disturbed. And he says he, he sat down and he wrote a well-worded rant on social media expressing his opposition to the rally uh, from a Christian point of view. And he says he then felt a little bit better about himself, as you sometimes do yeah, with a good rant. Um, a few hours later, he logged back on to social media and he found that a woman from his church had responded to his post and said, talking about this on Facebook is not enough. We need to do something. And Jim acknowledges, he says he was reluctant and he was afraid, but he knew that she was right. And so they sent out a call to Christians in that city. And when the day came, 200 angry protesters gathered, many of them wearing masks and bulletproof vests, carrying pistols and knives and semi-automatic weapons. And they were holding up indecent images and chanting obscenities and burning Korans. But standing between them and the mosque was an equally large crowd of Christians with nothing in their hands except signs that said, love your neighbor, wearing blue t-shirts. And they were there to be a peaceful presence and to pray. And they formed a physical barrier of protection with their bodies and a spiritual barrier of protection with their prayers. And they spent the time of the rally reaching out in love to their neighbors on both sides, to their Muslim neighbors on one side and the angry protesters on the other. And remarkable things happened. Some protesters had a change of heart and walked away. Some of them turned their t-shirts inside out to hide the obscene messages that they'd written there. Some of them actually went to speak to the Muslim leaders to apologize. And on that day in that American city, not one shot was fired, not one punch was thrown, not one person was arrested. And again, in light of what we've been talking about this morning, if that's all we could say, that is powerful, right? That is mission, that is valuable, that is beautiful. Um, but you know what also happened was there were many, many, many conversations about Christ that day. And Jim and his friends got to have conversations with non-Christians who'd shown up to help them and wanted to know why these Christians had initiated uh, doing this. They got to have conversations with the angry protesters who again wanted to know why these crazy Christians were putting their bodies in the way of guns. And they got to have conversations with many, many Muslims who were moved and puzzled and curious that these Christians had put their bodies on the line for them. And it all came together for Jim Mullins because um, he realized that suddenly this was where the message of the cross became visible for people. People wanted to know why did these Christians do this? And they got the opportunity to talk about Jesus and especially to talk about the cross and the way in which Jesus came and put his body on the line for us and now calls his followers to do the same. 
Um, I find that story just really helpful. Whenever God's people, uh, whenever the followers of Jesus serve their neighbor in costly love in the way of the cross, hearts get softened, minds get changed, doors swing wide open, and there's an opportunity for the message of Jesus uh, to break through. And so all we can finish by saying um, is really this, is let's go this week and do likewise. Um, Let's pray together. Um, We're going to sing a song of response. Um, Let me encourage you, if you really could do with prayer this morning, there's something going on in your life for your heart where you'd really love someone to pray with you. Uh, There'll be a couple of people up in this corner to my left, your right, uh, who would love to pray with you. Uh, before you go home. Let's pray together. Father, we want to confess um, before you that very often in our lives we are like the priest and the Levite in the story. That we kind of see someone in trouble out of the corner of our eye, but we, we rush on because we're busy and sometimes if we're honest because we're selfish because we're apathetic because we don't care enough Father we confess that sometimes in our lives we we care only with feelings or only with words or only with social media posts but we don't actually get our hands dirty Um, Father we want to pray that you would teach us what it means to love our neighbours in the costly, sacrificial way that Jesus loved us. Father, we want to confess that we, we can't do that by ourselves. We don't have the resources. And so we want to pray this morning, would you come and pour your love into our hearts by your Spirit so that we can love in the way of Jesus. And Father, I want to pray that even this week, um, all over our town and this area, um, we as followers of Jesus would have opportunities to live out little living parables that point people to the message of Jesus and the beauty of the cross. We want to pray that people would not just hear gospel words from our mouths, but would also see the gospel written in our actions. And we pray in the name of Jesus, our servant King. Amen.